I remember looking at the clock and I saw the red numbers on the clock. They said 3.30 a.m. And I remember just sitting there holding these two babies, feeding them, thinking like, this is miserable. I know I'm not supposed to think that because I'm uh, supposed to be a good mother and I do love these babies, but this is just sheer torture. And I'm probably a horrible mother for thinking that, but I hate every second of this right now at 3.30 in the morning. Giving birth is one of the most significant events of your life. Sadly, the joy that you should feel can often be replaced with anxiety and helplessness instead. As a labor and delivery nurse, I'm revealing insider information to educate you, reassure you, and decrease your fear. In this podcast, you'll hear empowering birth stories and experts weigh in on a range of topics. Being Jewish also has me exploring Judaism's influence on the reproductive experience. However, I speak to anyone wishing to navigate their journey with more joy and confidence. I'm your host, Hani Fingerer, and you're listening to the Happy Birthway Podcast. Welcome to the 31st episode of the Happy Birthway Podcast. I cannot believe that we are at 31 episodes. I have a really exciting interview for you for this episode with Ricky Taubenblatt. She is a pediatric sleep consultant who works with mothers of babies from zero to 24 months to help them be their best selves for both baby and mama. A well-rested baby is a happy and healthy baby. And needless to say, a well-rested mama is too. Before we start the interview, I wanted to discuss a few things going on. Firstly, my live Zoom workshop that's coming up on Wednesday, December 29th. It's going to start at 8.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. It's called After the Birth. If you want to read about it more on my website, you can do that. If you want to look at the description on my Instagram page, it is up there as well. I am really all about empowering mothers to be able to heal as well as possible, recover and transition during the early days after having a baby. These are the most pivotal days of your postpartum stage, and they can really make or break the rest of your postpartum recovery phase. If you haven't had a baby yet and you are expecting, then you've probably heard from friends or family about how hard this stage can be. And I'm not going to say that I'm going to make it a breeze, but I'm going to say that I'm going to make the challenges a lot more manageable and help you cope much better during this live workshop. That is my goal. And this is a rare opportunity to take a live workshop by me because in the future, this workshop will be offered again. However, it's going to be in a pre-recorded format. And we are also going to have a post-workshop optional Q&A so you can stay for that. You will also have access to the recording for three months after this workshop. So if you're earlier on in pregnancy, you will have it to be able to review it and you will be able to also have it after you have the baby so you can have a refresher. I want to answer some of the great questions I've been getting from people who are deciding whether this is a good workshop for them. Firstly, in terms of how far along you are in pregnancy, this is a great workshop for someone who is 28 weeks and on in their pregnancy. 
This way, you'll have the information more fresh in your mind. You're also going to have three months of access to the recording so that you can review it as you get closer to the time if you are not yet too close to your due date. The way it's going to work is that you're going to get an email about 15 minutes before the scheduled workshop time to log in to the workshop via a Zoom link. The price for the workshop is $47 and it is a really great price. Since this is my first live workshop ever, I'm offering this price um, kind of as a promotional offer, but it is not going to stay this price. This course will be sold for a higher price in the future. So once again, this is a great opportunity for you to grab. Now, not only are you going to have a live workshop with me and have three months of access to the recording, but you are also going to have three months of free membership to Yoledid community. And I want to answer a few questions about Yoledid community. It is going to be a membership-based community. I will be moderating it and I will be active in it. So it's going to be a safe space. I'm going to ensure that everyone that's part of the community is someone who belongs there. I'm going to ensure that everyone is treated with respect. I am also going to be present and answering your questions on the community. So being that this is a new project that is going to be launching in January, all of the pioneers that are going to join Yoleda community, we're going to have a smaller group in the beginning, which means that you're going to have more access and availability to have your questions answered by myself. So this is a great opportunity. If you sign up for the workshop, you're going to get automatically three months free. And also, if you sign up for my email list, then you are going to get a link for three months of free membership access. And the first 20 people who sign up on this link are going to be able to get that free membership. So sign up to my email list. You can do it through my website, yoledzetacademy.com. All the way at the bottom of the homepage, you will see a form where you can put in your name and your email. I'm not a big email person myself. I'm so overwhelmed by the amount of emails that I get. So I don't plan on sending you a thousand emails. I plan on sending you emails to announce new offerings and projects. And I'm also going to be sending out exclusive discounts that I will not be putting up on Instagram or on this podcast. So it's worthwhile for you to sign up to this email list. Please share this information with friends who may not know about the podcast or don't listen to podcasts and who are not on social media. Please share this uh, workshop with those friends because who knows who might greatly benefit from it and who might be very interested in it. And this is a great gift. If you have a friend or a family member who is pregnant, this is a great gift for them. We all know how challenging the postpartum period could be and how you just want yummy, nice things and you just want to have as easy an experience as you can. And it's so nice to buy baby gifts. And we love getting baby gifts for our babies because we love spoiling our babies and giving them nice things. But at the same time, it's also really, really nice when a mother is kept in mind and when we have her well-being and best interest in mind. So this can be a great gift for you to give to someone who is having a baby soon. 
I would like to read two reviews that I've gotten, one via DM through Instagram and one on the Apple Podcast review. And friends, dun, 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 Spotify let me know that they are coming out with a rating feature. Maybe review also. I'm not 100% sure. Like I said, I don't read my emails very thoroughly, but um, they are coming out with this new feature. So if you listen to me on Spotify, please, 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 pretty please rate, review the podcast. Don't be overwhelmed by writing a long review if that's something that you just are not interested in doing. By all means, just write great podcasts. But it's still a review. It still says something positive. And again, it helps my algorithm. I've said this before in previous episodes. And it really helps me to see this positive feedback. It really fuels me to keep going. So here is a lovely message that I received from someone on Instagram. She was writing in reference to episode 24 with Simcha Shar about Simcha Shar's birth story in Israel. And this is what she wrote. Hi, I'm catching up on your podcast with Simcha, and I wanted to echo the sentiment about the universality of healthcare. I needed a minor procedure done while pregnant, and as an Ola Hadasha, which means a new emigree to Israel, as an Ola Hadasha at the time, was my first experience in an Israeli hospital. Thinking about it still brings tears to my eyes, happy tears. It was encouragingly beautiful to see how universal sickness and health can be. Arab nurses pushing Hasidic men in wheelchairs, pregnant Arab women being pushed in wheelchairs by from doctors. No matter who you love or who you hate, you still get sick. It was remarkable. My friend on that note gave birth over Shabbat and the nurses then are typically Arab. Her baby is named with friendship in mind. That was one of the meanings of the baby's name because of how kind everyone was to her afterwards. It's a shame this message can't transcend through the hospital doors and into the real world. This message sent chills down my spine. We are all human and in Israel where the political climate can be really, really chaotic, I think it's that much more beautiful when you see people of all different walks of life leaving all of that behind and just giving each other care. So that was really beautiful. Thank you so much to this woman who wrote this, who requested to remain anonymous. Then I wanted to read a beautiful review from Etel G on Apple Podcasts. She wrote, although I am new to this podcast, it has me captivated each episode more than the next. Love the clear and understandable information and not to mention the humor thrown in throughout. I try. Thank you. Thank you for your time and information. This is really, really meaningful to me. So thank you so much, Etel G, for leaving this review on Apple Podcasts. One last thing before we start the interview with Ricky of Baby Sleep Maven is that I have a special exclusive discount code for you, my listeners, on the podcast. It is not a code that I'm going to be giving out on Instagram, but it is a code here for you. And that code is Yoledet, Y-O-L-E-D-E-T, for 15% off of her newborn sleep shaping course or her newborn sleep shaping PDF guide. So this can be another great tool for you to get in conjunction with my after the birth workshop. 
I'm going to put in links into the episode show notes as usual for both my workshop and for Ricky's newborn sleep shaping course along with the discount Y-O-L-E-D-E-T. And without further ado, let's start the interview. Welcome to the Happy Birthday Podcast, Ricky. So good to have you here. I'm so excited to be here. Thanks for having me. So this is a hot topic, sleep. Like, huge. So are you going to solve everyone's problems and then they're going to have a great night of sleep two days after yes. they come back from the hospital? Yes. In one magical <laughs> podcast episode, your whole life will be perfect. Isn't that great? You give a lot of great information, but I think the important thing to remember is that it's not a magical wand and parents have to put the work into it, right? A hundred percent. A hundred percent. I always tell parents, you have to remember that I can tell you everything. I can give you all the tips all the hacks, all the strategies, but your baby is a human. Your baby's not a robot. We're not, I always say, we're not turning your baby into a sleep angel or a sleep robot. You're going to work with me. Your baby's going to be sleeping. And then two weeks later, your baby's going to cut a tooth and you're going to say, what? I thought my baby knows how to sleep. Now my baby doesn't know how to sleep. That's not what a baby sleeping means. A baby sleeping means that a baby has the skills to be able to sleep on their own. It doesn't mean that things don't happen because we're human and things happen to babies, kids, and adults. It's just part of how we're made. Oh, yeah. So let's backtrack. And why don't you tell everyone exactly what it is that you do now that we confirm the fact that you are not a magician and you don't just wave a magical wand. (laughs) Okay, sure. So like you said, I'm a pediatric sleep consultant, which basically means I'm a trained professional that guides parents through the ins and outs of baby sleep. So I work with newborns and then babies up till 24 months. And I coach parents to teach their babies how to sleep on their own. So that means when a baby is struggling with either falling asleep or staying asleep or napping well, I give parents the tools and the skills and the strategies to teach their baby how to sleep. So I'm not the one who gets the baby sleeping. The parents are. I'm really more of a parent coach than a baby coach because I pass those skills on to the parents who pass them on to the babies. How did you get into this? Great question. How do you think I got into this? What's your guess? You had kids that didn't sleep and you wanted to sleep. Spot on. I think that's how every sleep consultant stumbled into this industry. They had a baby. In my case, it was twins. Mm. They didn't sleep. They went, this is not what I signed up for. I cannot go on like this. There has to be a better way. They find it. And then they kind of see the light. So in my case, I'm a very organized plan type a person who likes to have total control over her life plans and that doesn't really match well with this thing that we call motherhood where you need to completely surrender all control to things that you never thought would happen never expected would happen and sometimes you just don't know what the next minute is going to hold so when i was pregnant i had these dreams of exactly what motherhood was going to look like and honey it was perfect It was just perfect. I was going to walk in the park on Sunday afternoon with my babies in the stroller, with my husband next to me. Everything was going to be calm. We were going to be smiling, and the leaves were going to be falling. I had this image in my mind. And then the twins came, and it was like someone punched me in the face. That's literally how I felt. I was like, this is not what I signed up for. No, 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 no. This wasn't like the motherhood list that, like, I had written. I had no clue what hit me, the the sleep deprivation, the breastfeeding, I mean, two at once, you know what I mean? It's it's not like your standard um, baby scenario. Mothers who are listening to this who have twins will completely relate. Um, 
Relate. But, yeah. And, and I had a lot of help. That was the funny thing. Looking back, I had so much help. I moved into my parents' house for seven weeks, and we had a full-time baby nurse, and my husband had three weeks of paternity leave. So there were lots and lots and lots of hands to help, but it was still never enough. And I felt like I could kind of get a handle on the tasks that had to be done, like the diaper changes and the breastfeeding. Like I felt like I could do everything, but I couldn't deal with the sleep deprivation. That was just destroying me. And I remember my husband used to say to me, like, it's mind over matter. It's mind over matter. Just give yourself a benchmark in your head. Like, okay, if you get like five hours of sleep added up throughout the night, you'll be okay. And I remember just like crying and telling him, like, you don't understand. I, I can't survive like this. I, I, it's not about adding up the hours throughout the night. I need a stretch of consecutive sleep. I'm falling apart. I just, I, I couldn't get through the day. Long story short, I was determined to teach these babies how to sleep. My husband was much more leery of the whole sleep training process than I was, which is in a funny, ironic twist. Now he's my biggest fan. Um, he's the biggest sleep training advocate out there. Um, now he is the biggest sleep training fan. But, you know, well, he was nervous. did he do the mind over matter thing? Maybe it works for him. <laughs> the sleep training. <laughs> so, you know, a lot of parents have concerns about sleep training, and my husband was one of them. Too bad my husband didn't have me then to tell him about the research and to reassure him as a sleep consultant. But I was just as uh, naive as he was. We really didn't know very much about it. And uh, my cousin, who had had a baby six weeks before the twins were born, sent me a very popular sleep training book, 12 Hours Sleep by 12 Weeks Old which I don't necessarily recommend and endorse at this point. But at that point, it was extremely helpful. Followed the program. I taught the babies how to sleep. Thank God they were sleeping through the night, about 12 hours by the time they were about 12 weeks. And my life changed. All of a sudden, I was able to function. I was able to enjoy them. I was able to enjoy motherhood. That was There was that picture, that image that I had in my mind of enjoying my babies. That's where it was. It was on the other side of a good night's sleep. And that's what I had been missing in between those very, very challenging first few months. So this brought out a newfound passion that I never knew I had until this point. And sleep training was all I could talk about. I would talk about it to my family, to my friends, to my relatives. I just I couldn't stop talking about sleep training. And soon my friends and family started saying, well, if you're so good, can you help me with my baby? Can you help me with my baby? And my friend just had a baby. Can she call you? And then... I kind of became like the unofficial sleep help in my surroundings. And I actually had a conversation with Rory Weisberg, the founder of Full and Free, who is a, a health coach and an advocate of women's health. I uh, was eating a Shabbos meal at her house, and the twins were about eight months old. And, of course, I wouldn't stop talking about baby sleep and how I sleep train them and their nap schedule and this and that. And she was like, Ricky... You don't even know how many mothers need help with this. You cannot imagine what a need there is for this in the world. And now Rory's kids were older at that point, but, but her face like blanched when she described the memories of when her children were babies and they couldn't sleep. She said it was so painful. It was so challenging. I wish there was someone like you who could have helped me at that point when I was struggling. And she looked me in the eye and she said, Ricky, you have a calling get out there, get a certification, go back to school and go help mothers because you are so needed. And the rest is history. 
Nice. So see, you and I are very similar and very different because firstly, I am not type A. I'm just like on the fly, more spontaneous. But let me tell you, I am not like that with my babies. I was not like that with my babies in the least, but I was so type A. I needed that routine and I needed to know that I was also going to get sleep because I think that some people are just better at winging it on less sleep than others. And I need my sleep. I'm also not a very nice person when I don't get my sleep. (laughs) So I I knew, I I learned that if I stick to routine, a type A routine, then I'll have more predictability. Like I remember counting down the seconds when I had my first one, she was three months old. And I remember we, we had a Friday night Shabbos meal and I had guests and she was not on any schedule. I didn't know about any of this stuff. And I remember counting down the seconds like till they left because my baby was sleeping right now. So I better go to sleep right now because who knows, she may wake up in an hour and I'll lose that whole hour of sleep. Like, let's get everyone out. So I, I'm, even though we are, I'm not type A, I, um, I still like really needed that routine and did that with all my kids. And we are very similar in the fact that I had a baby and that became my calling, pregnancy, labor and delivery and old birth, everything like that. So I'm just like you in that way. Like I had my first and I was like, oh my gosh, I love this. How can other people not love this? Like if you're pregnant, how are you not obsessed with this as much as I am? And that's actually what was my gateway into what I do. So. And you had a, you had a difficult delivery, right? Yeah, everyone can listen to it. It's episode two, and then my second and third was uh, is in episode three of this podcast, and then my fourth I haven't done yet. We will do it. We will get to it. Um, but I, I think that when people have challenges, then that's something that it's it's kind of like a self actualization of sorts, where you can actually go and help other people and help them prevent the things that happened to you that you didn't like. And again, my birth wasn't like this horrifically traumatic thing, but I I felt very much like it could have been so much better. It could have been so much more enjoyable. I could have been so much more prepared, despite the fact that I read a lot and I felt like I was prepared. But, um, you know, there's a lot of nuance in it, too. So I I think it's cool that we were both. It's so true. It's so true. I know I agree with you completely. And it's so true what you're saying, how something doesn't have to be the most horrible experience for it to be extremely challenging for you and devastating for you and for you to self-actualize out of that experience. I remember, so we had a baby nurse when the twins were little and the way it works when you have a baby nurse is they usually take off one night a week. So, so like I said, we had a baby nurse and when you have a baby nurse, the way it works usually is that they take off one day and one night each week. And we totally used to argue over who was gonna be up that night with the babies when she wasn't there it was like the tension of the week like is it me or my husband and there was no point in splitting nights because there were two babies like someone was always up you know what i mean so it was my turn and i have this vivid memory the babies woke up i took them i went to the other room and i remember looking at the clock and i saw the red numbers on the clock they said 3 30 a.m and i remember just sitting there holding these two babies feeding them thinking like this is miserable. I know I'm not supposed to think that because I'm uh, supposed to be a good mother and I do love these babies, but this is just sheer torture. And I'm probably a horrible mother for thinking that, but I hate every second of this right now at 3.30 in the morning. And I often think back to that now, my twins are five years old. And I think about how exactly like you were saying, that was not the most traumatic experience. There are millions of mothers who've been up with babies 
and twins at 3.30 in the morning. But to me, it was such a low point that I felt like I kind of hit rock bottom there, that I knew something needed to change. And I knew I was going to change permanently from this. And thank God I've created something beautiful out of something that was a very big challenge for me at the time. Yeah, and you found a solution. And you are sharing that with so many other parents. You found a solution that can make having a baby so much nicer and so much more pleasant. Once I got the hang of my kids uh, getting them to sleep more, it was so much more enjoyable. Like I was able to enjoy being a mother to them and like bask in all of the wonderful moments that we had because I knew I was going to get sleep. And I remember coming home from the hospital with my newborn, with my oldest. And like, you know, I went to camp. So I stayed up a lot of nights. So it was like, okay, you know, that that's what having babies is like, you know, you, you stay up a bunch of nights, but it's okay, you'll get you'll get through it. Oh my gosh, but that sleep deprivation was a special sorts of sleep deprivation. Like I don't remember, I, I, I don't think it's possible to imagine the likes of it until you actually have a baby. And I'm not saying this to scare people who don't have a baby yet, but I actually think that it's great for people to know that this is like a new kind of sleep deprivation and that there are solutions to it. So yeah, and it's also very important to touch upon the fact that you mentioned before that not everybody has the same terrible experience with sleep deprivation. Some people are okay with less sleep. My husband is one of them. You know, he's a type he can go to sleep at one and get up at five and he's okay. I hate those people. If that's me, <laughs> you're not going to see me for two weeks if that happens to me one night. I need my sleep. But not everyone's like that. So there are some mothers who, you know, their babies are up at night, they don't sleep well, and they do manage and they are okay. So it's not that like having a baby is like a doomsday prediction that, you know, it's going to be miserable. It just is a very common challenge that many, many mothers face. Yeah. And so much of what you're saying, I used to work nights and I just, I couldn't sleep all during the day. Like I wasn't a day sleeper, you know, so some mothers are fine when their newborns are sleeping during the day, they can catch uh, an hour or two of sleep and then they're fine. I just could never do that. Like it never worked for me. And oh my gosh, I still recall those years of working night shifts with like this pit, this nausea in my stomach. Cause like literally 4am, that's what I would experience. It doesn't matter if I slept for eight hours during the day, like right. inevitably I would have to wake up at 11am to pee, you know? <laughs> <laughs> this is what I hear from anybody who, you know, their kids are older, like my husband and I, gosh, this was crazy. We were once in Italy and in this random restaurant, we bumped into this couple and we were talking to them and they were in their late fifties. So their kids were already in college and the mother just turned to me. And just like you're describing with like a pit in her stomach, she's like, I wish you were there when my kids were babies. Like people don't get over this. It, it leaves this traumatic effect on them and part part of it i think is the sleep deprivation but i think a large part of it is the helplessness when people feel like i'm sleep deprived and i can't get out of it that's what traumatizes them when they feel like there's no way out and they're just stuck in this awful situation long term oh yeah so now that we talked about the awfulness of sleep deprivation with the baby <laughs> and anyone who doesn't have a baby yet we scared the everything yeah, no out of them kids anymore <laughs> I know, right? Uh, I mean, if they're pregnant, then they'll all in, no backing out. But um, <laughs> let's let's hear solutions. Let's hear, especially for the newborn stage, which I think babies like have the most broken up sleep. Um, so let's hear solutions. Let's hear what parents can do right from the start. Okay. So 
I love working with the newborn stage. That is actually my favorite subtopic in baby sleep for a few reasons. But the main reason is that newborns is where there is the greatest misconception about sleep. If you speak to the average mother and you say, okay, so, you know, you have a newborn, she's not sleeping, what do you do? You'll usually hear something along the lines of, well, I just have to wait till my baby's old enough to sleep train. And then as soon as my doctor says I can sleep train, then I can get sleep. So I feel like most mothers view the newborn stage as kind of like this awful waiting game of just like get through it in one piece, just survive. And then when your baby's three, four, five months old, then you could start living again because then you can sleep train. And the way I see it is very, very differently. While I don't advocate formal sleep training methods for newborns, I do, I am a huge proponent of something called sleep shaping, which is the idea of gently setting a strong sleep foundation for your newborn. You see, sleep training is kind of like undoing habits. So sleep shaping is never creating those habits to begin with. You're setting your newborn up for success from day one. And you can literally start this in the hospital, like on night one. You don't have to if you're recovering from birth and that's overwhelming, but you can start this the day your baby is born. And when you sleep shape, you feel so empowered because there are still hard nights and there's still sleep deprivation, but you're working towards a goal and you're seeing progress along the way. Yeah, that that's really interesting. It makes a lot of sense. You weren't around five years ago when I had my last one, but I remember I, I read a few books and I remember even doing small things like waking her up every morning at 7 a.m. It didn't matter if I had to feed her at 5.30 a.m. and she only went back to sleep at 6 a.m. and I desperately wanted to sleep longer, but like just doing things like that, like just getting her slowly transitioned and used to just timing wise, like 7am is around the time that we wake up, you know, um, and it was so hard. But I like you said, I did feel like I was helping her create um, just an awareness. So Ricky, you actually have a, a guide. Is it a guide where parents can uh, find on your website, um, where they can learn about these sleep shaping habits? Yeah, so I actually have a PDF guide and a video course. So I found in my sleep consulting journey that there are different kinds of mothers. Some mothers just want to read and some mothers are just too tired to read. And they say, please record it on video. I love watching your Instagram stories. I have no patience to read. I'm too tired to read. Just feed it to me. Exactly. Just give it to me on video. So I have a PDF for the reader mamas and a video course for the tired, super tired mamas. So the video course and the PDF guide both teach you how to shape your newborn sleep. They teach you how to gently stretch that nighttime stretch. So, you know, if your newborn is sleeping about three, four hours at night, you know, if you're in a standard good place for a newborn, you know, sleeping about three, four hours in a long stretch, we teach you how to lengthen that stretch. So um, thank God I've had a lot of success with that. Mothers have reached out to me and told me that their newborns are sleeping 10, 11 hours by the same amount of weeks, you know, usually by 10 hours by 10 weeks, 11 hours by 11 weeks. And uh, many mothers have actually reached out to me and told me that they thought they were going to have to sleep train their babies. But after they took the newborn sleep shaping course, they didn't need to. And there was just no sleep training necessary because they taught their baby good sleep habits. And then the baby learned how to sleep. That's very cool. It is. It is. And it, it takes away 
so much of the fear and the anxiety that we were talking about before. Like I have a lot of mothers who are pregnant reach out to me and say, you know, I'm due in a month or I'm due in two months. When should I take this course? And I tell them, take it now. Take it now when you're pregnant. Take it now before the baby comes because when the baby comes, all hell breaks loose. It's just chaos. You're not going to be feeling well. You're going to be recovering from birth. There's going to be a million people giving you a million opinions and you're going to be sleep deprived. So absorb this knowledge now when it's calm and start off on the right foot from day one. Yeah. And then when you actually have your baby and it comes to applying the things that they read, they'll be like or watched on your course. Oh, okay, Yeah, right. I remember she said that. Okay, You know, so I think it's great because, like you said, it's so hard to retain this information um, when you're actually in that state, in that chaotic state. And but I'm sure you have many moms coming to you in desperation, you know, three or four days after having their baby and like, oh, my gosh, I can't do this. Please save me. I get my typical DM looks like this. I'm in the hospital bed. My baby is two days old. What should I do? So we get a lot of a lot of mothers who are um, in the throes of postpartum. Um, one thing that can that can be very helpful. You were kind of talking about how you did different things to help acclimate your baby to a daytime schedule. You know, waking her up at a certain time every day. One thing that mothers can do that's very helpful is to actually expose their baby to sunlight during the daytime hours. So as soon as your baby wakes up from a nap, just bring her to the window and sit with her at the window for 20 minutes, you know, or take her outside in the stroller. So sunlight has this magical effect on our circadian rhythm. It teaches our bodies that sunlight equals bright daytime. And when the sun goes down, we wind down and we go to sleep. And this can teach your baby's body without you even doing any shaping or training. It just teaches your baby's body what to do. So expose your baby to bright sunlight during the day. Now, you know, medically, you don't want to put your baby out bare in the bright sunlight because you know, their skin is very sensitive. But, you know, in the stroller with the hood or near the window, it's fine. And um, bonus points is bring your baby outside around sunset time to teach her body that it's time to start winding down. This doesn't have to be dramatic. You can literally Roll Instagram on your phone while you're holding your baby in your arm for 10 minutes out on the porch. Give yourself a little time to relax. Um, That can be very helpful in teaching your baby's body what is day and what is night. That makes a lot of sense because you know how they say that before adults go to sleep, before we go to sleep, right, we should limit the light exposure that we have from screens and things like that because they help breed better sleep. So that makes so much sense because we're doing that for the babies too. All right. So going forward, let's talk about sleep safety because you are a pediatric sleep consultant and I'm sure that that's part of your training and expertise. And it is something also that I, as a nurse, teach parents um, when we are discharging them postpartum. And I highly encourage parents to learn about this before, because just like we said, it'll be easier for you to retain the information. Um, And once you get home, it'll just be accessible in your brain. So uh, let's hear about sleep safety from you, Ricky. Okay. So um, sleep safety is a topic that I'm very passionate about. Um, At the same time, I'm careful how I discuss it because Sleep safety is there to prevent an occurrence of SIDS, and SIDS is a topic that creates tremendous anxiety in mothers who are pregnant and postpartum when mothers already have heightened awareness and heightened states of anxiety and sensitivity. So 
the way I like to look at sleep safety is that you want to be able to go to sleep at night knowing that you did everything that was in your power to ensure your baby's safety. At a certain point after that, we all throw up our hands and surrender. And, you know, we believe there's a bigger plan. And if things happen, God forbid, that is part of a bigger plan. But we need to know that as parents, we did everything humanly possible. We educated ourselves and we followed through and we did everything that was in our power to protect our babies. And the good news is, is that the safe sleeping practices that have been encouraged and implemented over the years have significantly decreased the risk of SIDS, like significantly, like by 90%. So that's the good news. That's the reassuring part for parents. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, the SIDS rates have decreased. In the 1990s, the Back to Sleep campaign was launched. This was encouraging parents to put their babies to sleep on their backs. And since then, the rates of SIDS have, have decreased by 50%. And that is a huge, huge decrease. That is a huge percentage. So it's heartening, you know, rather than feeling like, oh, no, oh, no, I have to put my baby to sleep on his back because SIDS is such a scary thing. It can be helpful to think of it as heartening, like, look how many lives were saved by putting a baby to sleep on his back. Let me be on that safe sleep side and do the right thing and put my baby to sleep on his back. It's actually a, a dream of mine, Hani, to produce a pamphlet. I know you mentioned that, you know, as a labor and delivery nurse, as um, part of the discharge procedure, parents are told about um, safe sleep uh, protocol. And when I had my last baby six months ago, now armed with the knowledge that I have, I was kind of like, hmm, what's the nurse going to tell me? Am I going to know more than the nurse or is the nurse going to know more than me? So I was kind of like looking out for that. And I was really disappointed. Um, I'm sure it varies from hospital to hospital, but I was so disappointed with the lack of information given. And uh, since then, it's been a dream of mine. It's a little hard. Maybe you could help me implement this one day because I know there's a lot of bureaucracy in hospitals and a lot of procedural amounts uh, to scale. But it's been a dream of mine to create some kind of easy on the eye, aesthetically pleasing pamphlet for new mothers of, you know, basic newborn sleep tips and all the safe sleep information that you need to know. Because there really is so much more than just putting your baby to sleep on your back. So many mothers don't know that it's unsafe to put a baby to sleep in a doona. So many mothers don't know that it's unsafe to put a baby to sleep in a daca tot or to have your baby sleep. Some mothers think like, okay, I know it's like not safe to co-sleep, but if I put the daca tot in my bed with me, then it's safer because it's a separate sleep space. That's not considered a separate sleep space for your baby, and that's unsafe. So I do have this dream of producing this pamphlet. Of course, this is all included in my newborn course, but this is something I would love to just distribute free of charge so that mothers could have the empowerment and the information when they leave the hospital. Yeah, we should just ask the hospital, open up a sleeping consultant position, and you'll go from room <laughs> to room and actually tell it to the tired postpartum parents, you know, kind of like a lactation <laughs> consultant, you know, a sleeping consultant. Right. You know, might, might get great business for the hospitals, I'll tell okay, you. Okay, sign me up. <laughs> <laughs> um, so some parents are really desperate. I don't think any parents are doing it out of, malicious intent or out of being neglectful. But I, I can see how some parents can just be so desperate for sleep. And it becomes really hard to follow those sleep, those safe sleeping practices. 
I agree with you 100%. Every parent only wants the best life for their baby. And every parent wants the best thing for their baby. And the tricky thing about these safe sleep practices is that often when you follow them, the baby won't sleep. Babies do sleep better in a duna. It's cozier. Babies do sleep better in a dakatat. It's more snuggly. And babies do sleep better often when they're snuggled up next to their mother. So it's true. Mothers are left with this conundrum. Like, of course, on a logical level and on an emotional level, we want everything that's safe and good for our babies. But underneath that comes this primal desperation of I'm going to die if I don't get sleep. Someone take this baby and just make this baby sleep that we lose our sense of logic and we lose that kind of higher sense of what we really want to meet this urgent primal need that's just tearing us apart from the inside. So I think that, you know, the main things to focus on with sleep safety is the ABCs of sleep, which is A, B, C, alone, back, crib. When you put your baby to sleep, your baby should be alone, as in not in your bed and not in a bed with a sibling, on her back, and in a crib. Now, a crib can be a crib, a bassinet, a play yard, or a cradle. So that excludes a car seat, a doona, a rock and play, uh, a snuggle me, a dock, a tot. Anything that's not a crib, bassinet, or play yard is not considered safe for sleep. You don't want to have any loose blankets in the crib. This is something that I hear about very often, and it gets a little tricky because mothers will call me and say, you know, at home, I don't put any loose blankets in the crib, but when I send my baby to the babysitter, the babysitter puts a blanket in the crib. That's another passion project, to go around to babysitters and teach babysitters sleep safety because there are so many babies in daycare everywhere all day, and it's imperative that babysitters know and daycares know and follow safety practices. So, you know, what, what I do for my part is when I'm talking to a parent, I tell them, you know, you're, you're your child's advocate. You're the one who needs to speak up. You need to tell your babysitter, absolutely no loose blankets in the crib with my newborn. You know, you can't let my newborn sleep in the doona. He needs to sleep in a crib or a pack and play. And I can see that actually being like a really mutually beneficial body of knowledge for babysitters because they can probably also teach parents who are not practicing safe sleeping practices, they can teach that to them too. Yeah, you're right. It's like, it should be included with the CPR certification for a babysitter. As a labor and delivery nurse, well, I do this more in the postpartum end. I work postpartum as well. In the hospitals that I've worked at, we definitely have this um, continuous education that we provide parents with. Like when I will walk into a room and I'll see a mom by mistake fall asleep with her newborn or or look super drowsy with her newborn or when I see the fluffy blankets in the um, crib or, you know, other safe sleeping practices that are not being implemented, then yes, it is definitely a big thing that the maternity nurses on at least the units, the four hospitals that I've worked at do. And every hospital varies. It differs. Unfortunately, the piece, the fact that, you know, the healthcare staff is stretched thin. There are so many other responsibilities. So Unfortunately, they don't get as much face time as would be ideal with parents, too. So you don't see everything parents are doing, and you don't have as much time to really go over it thoroughly. So, you know, but but nurses should be doing that. That's a big part of our job on the maternity. True. And, and I also wanted to add one more thing to this topic, that mothers often feel very judged in this 
area and they feel like it's my baby. This is what I want to do. And don't judge me. And at the end of the day, every parent gets to choose to parent their child as they see fit. And um, I do implore parents to follow safe sleep guidelines. And I also want to give this some airtime and let it publicly be known that co-sleeping does feel so cozy and yummy and delicious. There is a reason people do it. So sleep consultants don't say like, oh, why would anyone co-sleep? It's dangerous, it's bad, it's wrong, and, you know, just do the right thing. No, I understand, you know, I understand that sleeping and having your baby sleeping on you and having a baby fall asleep on you, especially if you're breastfeeding, can be one of the most bonding experiences ever. And there is room for that. You know, you can breastfeed your baby in your bed when you're awake. You can let your baby nap on you if that's what you want when you're awake. It's that even though something feels so nice, it's not always the safe thing to do. Oftentimes, we have to do things for our children that don't feel snuggly and don't feel warm and don't feel bonding. But that doesn't mean that it's not the right thing to do for our child. Yeah. And back to the safe sleep guidelines. So there's a lot of no-nos and there's a lot of don'ts, but I also want to touch on some of the positive things that you can do to keep your baby sleeping safely at night. So many parents don't know this, but using white noise, swaddling your baby, and putting your baby to sleep with a pacifier all reduce the risk of SIDS. So there are things you can do. Playing white noise at every nap and when your baby's sleeping, making sure your newborn's swaddled, and putting your baby to sleep with a pacifier. It's okay if the pacifier doesn't stay in their mouth the whole time. The idea is that while they're falling asleep, they're sucking. Those are all correlated with a reduced risk of SIDS. So there are positive things you can do if you're feeling like, oh, this is so depressing and just like a whole list of things that I can't do. There are things you can take action with and do to help keep your baby safe. Yeah, I've had patients actually that brought a white noise machine with them to the hospital. Um, (laughs) So, so, yeah, and right, like you said, they serve a double purpose, which is great. And going back to what we said earlier about the desperation that some parents experience with wanting sleep, like you said, I I don't judge because I do feel like I've experienced desperation and I can understand why parents would do that. And you, you... You educate on safe sleeping practices, but at the same time, you also give solutions of how to get your baby to sleep better safely. So Exactly. If your baby only sleeps in the doona, I'm here to teach you how your baby can sleep safely and well in a crib. If your baby will only sleep in your bed while he's nursing, I can teach you how to gently and safely transition your baby to a crib and teach him to sleep through the night. So exactly like you said, you're not doomed to following unsafe sleep practices. If your baby won't sleep, there is a solution out there. I wanted to actually bring up this this thought came across my mind earlier when we were talking about newborn sleeping and sleep shaping that, you know, it, it's like you said, it's great that the, that especially some parents really experience success with the newborns sleeping better. But I think anyone that has a kid that's older than four months will know that as soon as you feel like you got it figured out, 
then they oh, throw yeah. in a wrench the next <laughs> week and then that's it. So like each milestone, like the eight week growth spurt and then the four month growth spurt and all that stuff. And then they get start to get really smart on you and get all the separation anxiety and just tug at your heartstrings. So <laughs> I think like it's a continuous thing for quite a while in the beginning. A hundred percent. Babies keep us humble. Exactly like you said. The minute we think, oh, I got this parenting thing down pat, boom, there's another sleep regression. Um, I have one follower on Instagram who just like messages me like every like two, three months, not another sleep regression, not enough. No, no, I cannot handle another sleep regression. And the truth is that sleep regressions are a sign of development. So they really are a good sign, but it's much easier to hear that when your kid is 20 versus when your kid is waking up at three in the morning because of that sleep regression. So it's very true. I have highlights on my Instagram page for every sleep regression because they really can knock you off your feet. And they take parents by such surprise because you feel so confident. Okay, the first night your baby sleeps through the night, you're like, is she breathing? Is she still alive? The second night, you're like, oh my gosh, two nights in a row, it's too good to be true. The third night, you're like swearing about this magic sleep training method, calling up all your friends. Then like two, three weeks in, you start to get smug and you're like, yeah, we got our baby sleeping. We know what we're doing. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, a sleep regression hits and it totally knocks you off your feet. And I remember with the twins, I would turn to my husband every time there was a sleep regression, I would turn to him and I would be like, what, what happened? Did they forget how to sleep? Do we, do they not know? And it's, it was funny because my husband had more wisdom than I did. And he wasn't, you know, he didn't end up becoming the sleep consultant, but he just had the foresight to say, you know, kids go through stages. They know how to sleep. We taught them how to sleep. We're going to get through this. We're going to get out of this. It's a stage. And that is what sleep regressions are. They, they do pass. You know, the, the thing to keep in mind during a sleep regression is that you don't want to start creating new habits that you're going to have to undo when the regression is over. So as long as you keep your structure in place, then your baby will come out the other side just fine. The question is, will you? I think these sleep regressions really coincide with new developmental milestones of babies. So it's kind of like learning how to hack those developmental milestones <laughs> to get your baby back on track, right? Yeah. So at, like, for example, at eight months old, babies are learning how to mentally divide things into categories. Like they can look at like the peas on the high chair tray and think like, oh, that's food. They can look at mommy and daddy and go, those are people. They can look at toys on the floor and go, oh, that's toys. You know, they're also learning how to start stringing sounds together. They're going the ba, ba, ya, ya, mama sound stage. So they often spend their time in their crib practicing those new milestones. You know, when a, a parent will message me all the time, my baby learned how to stand and now she can't get back down and she's screaming in her crib because she can't get back down. So there's two things that happen during a sleep regression. The first thing is that your baby's brain is on fire because there's all these new wirings and all these new synapses that are just like exploding. There's fire, I would say there's fireworks going on in your baby's brain during a sleep regression because all this growth and development and your baby's excited to practice because, wow, I could stand. This is fun. Let me try doing it for 45 minutes straight. And there goes your afternoon nap. Fun times. It really is. Anything else that you think is important for new parents to know? I think it's important for new parents to remember that the baby stage is just that. It is a stage. Your baby is going to grow up. You will get your sleep back eventually. Again, if you teach your baby how to sleep, you can get that sleep back much, much sooner than if you don't. But everything is a phase and everything is a stage and you will get to the other side. 
I think that it, it really got me through my second, third, and fourth kids knowing this because I didn't really... I didn't really realize it with my first baby. I was like, oh, my gosh, like, my life is over. And then when she started to sleep through the night, I was like, oh, wow, like, your sleep will come back. And I, it really helped get me through the other ones. And I tell parents this all the time. This is temporary. Just get through it. It's very difficult. It's really hard, but it will not be like this forever. So just work through getting through it one day at a time. I relate to so much to what you said. When the twins were born, I just had this constant anxiety of like, they better stay sleeping. They better stay sleeping. The sleep must go on. The sleep must continue, right? I was so afraid that I was never going to sleep again. And I was so afraid that I wasn't going to have my nights and my life back. And then with my third baby, I felt so different because I had the knowledge, I had the tools, I had the empowerment, I had the experience that I allowed myself the leeway to do things with this baby that I would never have done with my twins. You know, sometimes I'll just nurse my baby 10 o'clock at night before I go to sleep. He's already sleeping. I'll just snuggle him and nurse him just because I want to have that bonding time with him. With the twins, are you out of your mind? I would have been terrified to do that. Wake them up when they're sleeping. Now I'm like, you know what? I haven't had a baby in five years. I just want to enjoy this little boy and just snuggle with him and he'll go back to sleep. It's going to be fine. There's a certain freedom that you experience when you know, like you were saying, that it's a stage. It's a phase. We're going to get through this. It's okay. Yeah. I think having more kids, the more kids I have, the better perspective I have on this whole entire thing. They're all going to end up crazy anyway, so just try your best. And then <laughs> epidural, C-section, well, I don't care, you know? They'll all be the crazy kids. Sometimes I think about my future when my kids are going to be older and, God willing, married and out of the house, and I think to myself, like, I'm going to have so many quiet nights. And my kids are great sleepers, but still, even great sleepers have rough nights. My five-year-old will wake up with a nightmare. The baby will wake up with a burp that needs to come out. Like things happen. And I try to remind myself, like, this is really a phase. I'm going to have years and years of silent nights where I miss these days where, like, the kids were little and yummy and snuggly and came into my bed. So I just try to keep that perspective that, you know, this is a short time in the grand scheme of life. Let me tell you, though, I have a 14-year-old, and then they get their sleep regression back, too. She puts me to bed, like, you know, her lights will be on until 1 a.m., so. <laughs> I was just talking to my husband about that the other night. I said, what happens when they're teenagers? Like, you don't have an evening. Now the kids are in bed by 7, so I have, like, 7 to 10. I usually go to sleep, like, around 10. So I have 7 to 10, which is, like, our time. But what happens when they're teenagers? But then my husband told me that, first of all, teenagers like to hang out in their room a lot. Do you find that? I think it depends on the personality. Some teenagers love to hang around you and give you a blow by blow every detail of their day and then try to eavesdrop on adult conversation. Oh, I have one that's for sure going to be like that. The other thing I, I try to gird myself with is that the teenage years are also just a few years. So let's say, you know, you have 13 to 18, that's five years. I'm going to, I'm going to hopefully try to remind myself like, this is a five-year phase. Now, obviously, it's easy for me to preach this because my kids are five, but talk to me in 10 years. No, but it's the same concept of it's temporary. But let me tell you something, talking about having an evening, um, 
driving in the car five minutes to the Target parking lot with my husband has worked <laughs> because the teenagers <laughs> can babysit and that's the oh. only privacy we have. Okay, I'll keep it in mind. I'll store that tip away. Yeah. So, Ricky, thank you so much for bringing so much wisdom to parents here. Can we please review how parents can reach you and if you can briefly go over all of the services that you offer? Sure. So the best way to learn about what I do and how I can help is to come follow along on my Instagram page, which is at Baby Sleep Maven. And on my website, I have a blog full of great articles and tips. And that's also where all my services are. So that's babysleepmaven.com. And the way that you can benefit from my sleep help is threefold. I have PDF guides, again, if you're the reading type of mother. So I offer beyond the newborn stage, I have guides for newborns, babies four to 24 months. I have guides for travel, guides for early waking, guides for naps, guides for sleep training. You need it, we got it. So if PDF guides, I have two video courses, one for newborns and one for babies four to 24 months. And I do work on a limited basis with one-on-one clients. For those of you who really want your hands held throughout the sleep training process, and you can learn about that on my website as well. Thank you so much for joining us. And all of Ricky's contact information will be in the episode show notes. And for those of you not familiar with that, if you look at every episode, um, it comes with a description and there are show notes and the links will all be there. So anyone looking to reach Ricky, go ahead over there. I highly encourage you to. I love following along Ricky, even though I don't have anyone in the sleep department within the age group that you address because you don't do teens yet. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Thanks again for joining. Thanks for tuning into the Happy Birthway Podcast. Head over to Yolwedit Academy on Instagram to continue the conversation. You'll find the link in the episode show notes as well as links to any additional resources, products, and services mentioned here. If you love listening to this show, you can help it grow by sharing it with your friends and rating and reviewing it. To stay in the loop when new episodes are released, make sure to subscribe. Remember that your health needs are unique and require individualized medical advice. The podcast is not a replacement, and some of the information may not be appropriate for your specific circumstances. My mission is to educate you so that you can confidently collaborate with your healthcare team. I believe that a healthy mom and healthy baby are simply not enough. We also need a happy mom with an empowering birth experience. 